take our scripture reading tonight, congregation, from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. I invite you to turn there, page 1,553 in the Pew edition of the Bible, 1,553. To Mark, chapter 1, we'll start reading at verse 29, reading to verse 45. And here we, which is the end of that chapter, and here we find that Jesus is one uh, given to us by God, one commissioned, baptized to stand in the place of sinners, the one who will hang in the place of sinners, the one who comes to fulfill all righteousness. He's called forth his first disciples, and he embarks then upon his work of ministry and this is a work of ministry in which he wages a contest uh, between the kingdom of light over against the kingdom of darkness. In other words, who reigns? What is a reign? Well, we see evil reigning in all kinds of ways, all kinds of places. Jesus comes to undo the reign of the devil and embark upon the reign of God himself, his reign. Uh, we then read that, these verses in that light, starting at verse 29. As soon as they left the synagogue, uh, this was a Sabbath day, as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons <coughs> But he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone's looking for you, Jesus replied. Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you're willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone. Go, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Thus our reading from God's holy word, and may he bless his word to us. Dear congregation, here we find 
a, an assault, as I put it here, a uh, Christ's great assault on Satan's kingdom. You can read these as just little incidents, but Christ is embarked upon something. There's a plan of action. It's not haphazard. The one who would teach us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, is the one who goes about God's kingdom business. Because we live in a world in which either the Christ reigns in your heart or the devil does. There's no in-between. Even someone who says, well, I choose no side. I'm certainly not for the devil, but I don't vote for Jesus either. You've already voted for the devil. In fact, that's where the devil wants people. He wants people ambivalent. He wants people uncommitted. He wants people not taking sides. He wants people shrugging it off in boredom and in apathy. He wants people indifferent, uh, uncommitted to the Christ because inevitably he will hold sway and he'll have his way and hold the day, if you will, that's how the devil works. And what we find here with disease, with leprosy, uh, with demon possession, these are marks of Satan's reign. These are marks of fall and accursedness, of brokenness. This is not how life is supposed to be. We're not supposed to be sick and diseased and injured and ill. We're not supposed to die of terrible diseases. Our bodies are not supposed to malfunction and uh, go haywire in the ways they do and the ways are manifest in these days. And certainly we're not uh, designed, it wasn't in God's design plan that evil spirits fill our hearts and afflict us and uh, cause us shame and uh, debauched lives, broken lives a dispirited, uh, unhappy lives filled with tears and, and other blasphemies, you know, outright blasphemies that go with this kind of thing. Uh, so as Mark's gospel would teach us, okay, the Christ has come, he's been commissioned, he's faced the devil's assault and temptations, he's called forth his disciples and all of this. Now begins the work. It actually begins... Uh, a report of it in verse 21. We didn't read that, but he had gone to Capernaum. It was the Sabbath. He had gone into the synagogue and began to teach, would be a common theme in Jesus' ministry. And in the midst of that, there was one who was possessed by an evil spirit and had cried out, what do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? I know you're the Holy One of God. And Jesus uh, brings healing, the spirit uh, shakes this man and is driven out. It's in that context of Jesus laboring on a Sabbath day in a synagogue where they, people literally, a synagogue was a gathering place where they had gathered for worship on the Sabbath day, that he brings this good news of his own work. And that's why we read next at verse 29, as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home. What do you do after church, after a, you go home? 
Well, they find themselves home. It's here that we find this great, Christ's great assault on Satan's kingdom. And that's where we want to focus on a bit tonight as we see how in assaulting, bringing this assault on Satan's kingdom, Christ ushers in his kingdom, which is a kingdom of healing, a kingdom of prayer and preaching, and a kingdom of holiness. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. We start with a kingdom of healing. As I noted, it's not in the design plan. We're not supposed to be sick and ill and injured and full of fever and broken down and the like. And yet, that is life. When I first became a pastor, I, it went through my mind because I was youthful and young and hadn't known a lot of illness or injury. Uh, but as soon as you're a pastor, one of your tasks is, uh, at least in many churches, is to give uh, some pointed attention to those who are sick and injured and old and, and so forth, right? And, and I, it would always go through my mind, man, these people get hurt a lot. Man, these people get sick a lot. Uh, there's, there's a, man, there's a lot of, man, people, there's, there's a lot of people who get aged. Uh, you know, as a teenager, I gave it no thought. I mean, someone else worries about those people. I mean, that's, you know, but when you're the pastor, it's not someone else, it's you. And it, it came to become uh, very vivid for me that uh, there's a lot of affliction out there. Things that go haywire with our bodies, and some of them very debilitating. And I could spend a long time giving you a chapter and verse, as you probably could with me, of the kind of crazy things and hurtful uh, things, uh, the ravageness of disease. Now, turn the clock back, Jesus era, where you don't even have modern medicine and physicians and all the wisdom about the, the physical body. There was very little remedy to all kinds of physical afflictions. In fact, we read as the start here, Simon's, uh, Simon Peter, his mother-in-law, is in bed with a fever, but Jesus first tends to her. And tending to her, she then tends to them. She begins, she begins to wait on them or serve them. It's a deacon word here. In fact, I always, this is a little sidebar, I always wish we could sort of ditch the word deacon because it says nothing in our language. Whereas in the biblical tongue, they immediately heard servant in that word, service. What are deacons? They're servants in the church who serve and perform functions that help the functioning and well-being of the church. The servants come and take the offering. The ser that's what they are. That's what that word means. Diakon, uh, I don't like using Greek term. Anyway, uh, you, you get that, and that's who they are. And that's what then what she comes to do, being healed. A healing uh, served by the Savior and now serves the Savior and his disciples. But the real meat of this comes next at verse 32, where we see this kingdom of healing that evening that evening after sunset, the people brought Jesus, all the sick and demon-possessed. Well, why then? Because now Sabbath is over. 
they're afflicted, they're broken, there's elderly, there's, all, there's no doubt crippled people, perhaps blind people, people with different ailments, people with epilepsy, people, you know, all kinds of afflictions, right? But, oh, no, no, not on Sabbath day. You remember Jesus will get into conflict later. Oh, no healing. No, not too many steps on Sabbath day. But now the sun has gone down. Sabbath day is over. Now we can go forth. Now we can seek help and remedy from this one, this one who's come. So they bring the sick and the demon possessed. The whole town, it says, gathered at the door. And he heals many from their various afflictions and diseases. Drove out many demons. How tragic that among people of God, covenant people of God, so estranged from God, so exiled from his cause, under so much affliction that the demon possession even wasn't extraordinary but it had become sadly rather ordinary and Jesus drives out many of these demons and he didn't let them speak one thing demons always understood that your typical unbeliever doesn't understand is who Jesus is they're not in doubt you're the holy one of God you're from God you're the one who has authority you're the one who can cast us in the abyss. You're the one who has the power. Demons get it, but the demons and the devil would have us deceived. But Jesus comes, and this is his kingdom. See, the reign of God, the power of God barges into Satan's turf where Satan has afflicted uh, fallen people, and where there's sorrow and sadness and affliction and disease and even demon possession, he wages this assault in this one little community after a synagogue service, after a Sabbath day was over. The war commences. It's important for us to think of this because the healing work that Jesus comes to do is a physical healing, is a spiritual casting out, is a reordering of what's disordered. We don't live in a particular age in which we see people, uh, we don't see it manifest often at least, of, of being full-blown possessed by demons, but we live in an age in which many people are under the sway of the devil. We live in an age in which the devil has his way and deceives the nations in many ways. We see where people are motivated out of all sorts of stingy uh, self-interest, you know, in which it's about me and my success. You know, I don't care that I cheat this customer if it's money in my pocket. I don't care. Well, I care if it affects my profit margin. So I only care about you to the degree it helps my business to be honest, but otherwise I wouldn't be. In other words, that's not the way it's supposed to be. That is people living under Satan's sway, under his reign. And Christ comes to barge forth, bring forth, usher forth his kingdom of healing. There's healing of diseases. There's healing of spiritual death. 
There's healing of immorality, living under Satan's uh, uh, deceptions. He comes to make it right. He calls his church as we come under rebirth and healing and new life then to march forth showing light in the darkness, manifesting something of his kingdom reign. You say, well, that's not very big. It's only a flicker in a dark world. Okay, but it is that. Sometimes all you need is a little match to find your way around a dark room and to help someone else. We're not called to be savior of the world, but we are called to be those who manifest and show forth the light that he is, the light that shines in the darkness, and that we're bearers of that light in him. This is good news. And this is a healing that brings a forgiveness and a manifestation of his kingdom come. Because we are, and it's very important for Christian church to understand today, we are in a kingdom battle. Who reigns? Who rules and what is it all about? Everywhere we look, we see kingdom of darkness. Where you see the opioid epidemic, kingdom of darkness. You see pornographers and their free reign on the internet, kingdom of darkness. You see uh, criminal activity, white collar crime, kingdom of darkness. Not just uh, the gutter sort of thing, but wherever... It's not the way it's supposed to be, where there isn't love of God, worship of God, love for neighbor. There we're seeing something of the reign of kingdom of darkness. And Jesus comes to undo that, his kingdom assault, his assault on that kingdom to usher forth his reign, his rule. It's so important that we see then that this kingdom heals there's so much that's broken, that's fractured. We see it too in fractured marriages, fractured relationships, infidelity, reign of Satan versus reign of God. Where there's repentance, where there's healing, where there's forgiveness, there we see manifest then the reign of the Christ. That We see something of God's healing power at work, his kingdom assault against a demonic kingdom. We see this in families that aren't families. You know, Christmas time's often a coming together of families in celebration, and we praise God for that. And this is true even of people that don't know Jesus, but there's also families in which there isn't a coming together, or there's only conflict and bitterness and memories of hostilities from the past. Uh, reign of Satan, you see, his sway, husbands who aren't uh, good to their wives, mothers who don't mother, fathers who don't father, young lives in the grip of sin, believing the, Satan, uh, the devil's lies. You see, much needs healing, and it's not only physical diseases. It's not only outright demon possession. There's much that needs the healing reign of kingdom of Christ. We know people. It's in our own lives. It's in our own families and extended families. It's in our own neighborhoods. It's within our own governmental system. Pick a government, any government. You're going to find selfishness and corruption and then taking advantage and, and advantaging oneself and bending rules and breaking law. 
not the way it's supposed to be. But when we live under the reign of Jesus Christ, we aim at the way it's supposed to be. We aim to submit to him, to love him, and then to love our neighbor as self. Then you do justice to your neighbor. Then you care about his welfare. You care about where they're broken and where Jesus can bring healing. Because that's what he comes to do. He doesn't come just to die on the cross for our sins. He comes to do that. That's the ultimate healing thing. But he cares about who's hungry and who's sick and who's blind and who's crippled. He cares about our physical needs. He cares about what's broken and he comes to make it right. And that's why we have to care the same way. His ministry was not a deed ministry, forget the word, a word ministry, but I don't have to do anything. It was always a word and deed ministry that complemented each other, and that's why the church is only a faithful witness when she matches a deed ministry with a word ministry, a word ministry with a deed ministry. This is part of his healing. Indeed, when missionaries go to poorer lands that don't, uh, haven't been advantaged, even, even teaching them how to do agriculture and basic hygiene, well, that's not the gospel. Yes, it is. Because it's part of putting back what's wrong, making right. That's not the way it's supposed to be. This is how it's supposed to be. This is how we manage the land. This is how we take care of our bodies. This is how we stave off disease. It is right and fitting and good to live according to the orderliness of God's creation. And that's good news. It shows love and compassion for neighbor. And of course, salvation isn't hygiene and agriculture. It's the reconciliation with God and Christ Jesus. But he comes to re-embrace a creation and make it right, see? Jesus, is, his kingdom assault against the, Satan's reign is a kingdom of healing. Notice it's also a kingdom of prayer and preaching. We see that here next at verse 35, very early in the morning. While it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now, we don't understand Christmas very well. If you think like this, and I'm afraid a lot of particularly lay people think like this. Well, Jesus is the God-man, right? Right. Therefore, it was easy for him to be a man because his Godheadness could always be the trump card over his humanness. So it was simple for him. Everything was a cinch for Jesus because he was God too, so there. Well, let me spell this out for you. That's a big fat wrong. That's not how it works. It wasn't that as God-man, the divinity swallows up his humanity, so it's just submerged and basically wiped out, and he goes forth as sort of a super-divine superman, and everything just bounces. It's all a cinch. That's not much of a taking on our flesh. He takes on our flesh with all its frailty, weakness, learning how to spell, 
Aramaic. Learning to get the grammar right. It's not, oh, I just plug into my divinity and I got it all. Bang, it's easy, you know. He takes on our humanity and its brokenness. When he stubs his toe on a big stone, he does what we do. Ow, 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 ow. And what we don't do. <laughs> he got thirsty and tired and needed to sit down. The sun is hot and he sweat. His body was like ours. If he didn't manage it well, he could get sick and diseased and tired and smelly. Otherwise, you don't get the scandal of it. Jesus was not a medieval painting. Wherever he walked, a little gold halo was over his head. And, oh, there goes the Son of God. Oh, there he is. Uh, where is he? Oh, right there. I see the gold halo. That's not it. Why, all, why say all this? He had to pray. He had to go to the Father and in his dependency and weakness and neediness as human being, Lord, help. This is overwhelming. There's so many, so many sick, so many diseased, so many demons. I'm stretched in a thousand directions. He needs to find a solitary place. He needs the power of God as the incarnate one to bless what he seeks to do in faithfulness to God. And that's why he goes to this solid and he prays. And they come looking for him. Everyone's looking for you. Yeah, he knows that already. Let us go somewhere else. What's the reply? Let us go somewhere else to nearby villages so I can die on the cross for their sins. That's not what he says. So I can preach there also. That's why I've come. Jesus will die on the cross for our sins, but if that's all he does, then he dies like many Persons declared criminals by the Romans who were crucified and died on a cross. That was an ordinary kind of criminal's death, you understand. When I was a little boy, I thought it was the most unique death of all deaths. Only one person in the whole history of the human race died on a cross, Jesus. No. The Romans executed all kinds of what they called criminals that way. That's how they treated him is one cursed and cast off as a nothing nobody that way. But because he's the one who preached the gospel of the kingdom, who explained his mission, who came and explained the way with God, explained and even, even post-resurrection further explained the meaning of his cross. Because he proclaimed these things, now we understand what his death means with its resurrection. That is why I have come, so I can preach there also. He goes to little towns, little villages. He goes to ordinary people. 
He goes to regular kind of citizens, grandmas and grandpas and ordinary people uh, struggling to make a living, carpenters and fishermen and all the ordinary tasks and responsibilities. And he'll go to the tax collectors and the sinners too, those ordinary sinner people, the people set off as non-synagogue going sinners. Goes to them too and brings the gospel. This shows us then that the assault upon Satan's kingdom is a word assault, a prayer assault. How would we wage the good fight of the faith as Christian church? What do you think we need to do? Well, you can guess. We need to pray and we need to preach. That's what we need to do. We need to pray. The pew has to, be, as even as the pulpit, the preacher has to believe in prayer, has to really believe it's not in our hands to accomplish, has to really believe God must give the increase. We must be busy planting and sowing and watering and attending and all that, but only God makes things grow, only God gives a harvest. And we need prayerful dependency. If, if Jesus, who's God-man, needs to pray and shows us the example of prayer, it's not, first of all, a solitary place and in the morning, but it's convenient, right? Not bothered by anyone else. Before you're too busy for everything else, find the time to pray. He prays. And so the church must never be too busy to pray, too distracted to pray, too busy serving to pray, so busy I need to just work to get her done so I don't pray. No, no, no. We need prayer as, as, as the church's declaration of dependence on God. To achieve what only can be achieved as a divine gift. And then, yes, let's not stay here. The kingdom of God isn't just for us, just for Peter's household, for his town. No, it's for the world. Already here, there's a going forth in Jesus' ministry. There's a spreading out in Jesus' ministry and a preaching. The very message, that, that word preaching that describes John the Baptist announcing the coming of the Christ, proclaiming him, Jesus preaches and so he commissions the church with the same word to preach, to hold forth, to herald forth, this, to declare this good news about him. So we're told he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues, driving out demons. Preaching and demons driven away. Preaching, Satan's kingdom assaulted. Good news of healing and salvation, of mercy in Christ Jesus, of God's coming reign of truth and righteousness. And demons are fleeing. 
the program for the church can never be one in which preaching the gospel is shortchanged or where prayer is viewed as extra or supplemental or on the periphery. None of that. But dependent on God in prayer from the outset and always, this is the very foundation upon which we would dare labor. In fact, you discover that at Pentecost, the church was powerless to do anything until she was empowered by the Holy Spirit and empowered by, driven, given this gift of spirit. Now she's energized and made able to go forth to preach and to pray and to labor. And, and this is how it still holds for us. What should be our program in every church's program? Little tiny village church, big mega church. It needs to be a praying ministry, a God-dependent ministry, a humble ministry looking to him, proclaiming that gospel. And caring about not just us, but others. Because that's the nature of the gospel itself. Then notice, thirdly, that this is a kingdom assault. That he ushers forth a kingdom assault of well, there's healing here, but finally, it's a cleansing unto holiness. Notice that man with leprosy. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you're willing, you can make me clean. You hear what he asked for? <coughs> a man with leprosy came and said, heal me. That's not what he said. He said, make me clean. Important you hear that. Because a man with le leprosy was declared unclean. When you were declared unclean, according to the Mosaic law, you couldn't go to temple. You couldn't participate in atonement rituals and ceremonies. You couldn't be part of community of God's people. You couldn't go to synagogue. Besides, anyone who got near you and touched you was also unclean. You were cast off, cast out. Not only, it was a kind of almost an excommunication in the sense that you couldn't participate in uh, the covenant people of God and its worship and life, and you were basically cast out from a community and a society, a town also. It wasn't only having a terrible disease, socially it had, and spiritually it all, had all these other ramifications, all negative. No wonder, he says, make me clean. Of course he's asking for healing, but this is something that brings forth also, undoes all these other bad things. Jesus does what? Filled with compassion, he reached out his hand and touched him. No one else dared. No one else did. No one else wanted what he had, and no one else wanted to be declared unclean like he was. Filled with compassion, he does almost the unthinkable for that time and place and culture. He touches him. 
And he says, I'm willing to be clean. And immediately his leprosy left him. You say, well, that's more of the healing stuff. Yes, it is. But it's also about holiness. Where the kingdom of Christ comes, there's healing, there's prayer, there's preaching, but there's also holiness. There's cleansing. There's forgiveness. There's making new. There's consecration. Notice what he says. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest. Jesus already knows he's being reduced to miracle worker. Now there's still sometimes, it, it, it kind of cycles it seems in the history of the church where people make a much ado about healing and miracles and they want to make that the end all and be all of the gospel. And they want to uh, make spiritual gifts of certain sorts of extraordinary sorts the uh, the driving force and Jesus and forgiveness and atonement and, and these other things are kind of, you know, pushed to the side and these are lifted up. Healings is the big thing and you, there's various versions of gospel preachers through the years who've done that. You've perhaps seen that. And they're usually asking for a lot of money and quite a few of these seem to live rather high themselves. Hmm. By your fruits, their fruits, you know them. But this is not what Jesus is not about. Popularity. I'm a big man. I'm a big miracle worker. Spread the news. That's not what he's about. In fact, he's against it. You know, don't go talking about that. Instead, what I want you to do is march yourself to temple. Go show yourself to priest. Go show yourself as one unclean, clean, unholy, holy, marked off as abandoned and outside the community of faith, excommunicated, in communion. Go do that. Because his kingdom is to bring us to fellowship with God. To bring us into community together. To bring us into a place where we can worship and live out God's law and truthfulness together. Hence, go offer sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as testimony. Go do what the Mosaic law stipulates. Jesus doesn't come to undo the law, but to fulfill it. You are made well. Now do the Mosaic proper rituals of cleansing as one made clean and be back part of the fellowship of family of God. That's what his kingdom cause comes to do. And that's what his sacrifice of the cross is the ultimate payment to accomplish. And that's what the Christian church is. A communion of saints. Saints. You know what that word translated mean? Holy ones. Holy ones. Me? Yep, you. Paul is always talking about to the saints at the church. He's not talking about a few marked off individuals. He's talking about all the believers. 
We are the saints, holy in Jesus, washed in Jesus, made clean in Jesus, become ourselves temples, dwelling places of the Holy Spirit in Jesus. Sorry, it's cutting out sometimes. Made holy in Jesus. That's his kingdom assault against Satan's kingdom as he ushers forth his reign. We're part of it. We're part of kingdom come. And we await kingdom in all of its fullness and power and glory and blessing. We're not there. There's already something, but not yet everything. There's definitively something that can't be taken away, guaranteed what's ahead, but we still have to await the what's ahead. You see what, King, what Christ's assault on Satan's kingdom accomplishes? So much brokenness, he comes to heal. So many tears, he comes to wipe them away. So much that needs his care. So much where Satan reigns and he comes to undo it. So much in which the church yet needs to pray in dependence and preach in trust that this is the good news that will heal and bless lives. God does it. And so much unto finally bringing us to holiness before God. With all that's besmirched us, all of which has shamed us, you know, our thoughts, our deeds, our misdeeds, our undone deeds. And yet coming to forgive and cleanse and make us saints in him, holy ones. This is what Jesus comes to do and is continuing to do. And this is the good message the church has to bring to a world that's in darkness, that's in disease, that's in brokenness that's in darkness and doesn't know the way, the truth, or the life, and here we are to bring it. And that's why we need to go to other villages and other places, other byways and highways, to other lands, other tongues, other peoples, other races. Because this is what Jesus did to us. He comes to us to heal us. Isn't it great with Christmas? What comes next? His great kingdom offensive. What comes next? His assault against kingdom of darkness. How does it end? The kingdom of the devil done, finished, vanquished. His kingdom fully come. Indeed, Jesus shall reign wherever the sun, right? Indeed, shout for the blessed Jesus reigns. Indeed, hark the glad sound, the Savior comes. Uh, whoever picked the songs did a good job. Uh, praise the one who breaks the darkness, yes. So fitting. <coughs> what we sing, we believe. Amen. Shall we pray? Our gracious God, we ask your healing upon us, your help upon us. Teach us to pray, teach us to preach. And preach us to see, teach us to see afresh how we're holy, only in the one who's holy himself, Jesus Christ our Lord. Bless us with this good news, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.